Let us pray. As we prepare for your arrival, help us to create space in our lives where you might conceive and birth your sacred will. Hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. Hear now the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke. Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. She entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises made to her. Mary said, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God, my Savior. God has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is God's name. God shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honor him as God. God has shown strength with his arm, has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations, has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. God has come to the aid of his servant Israel remembering to be merciful, just as God promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months, and then she returned to her home. This is the word of God. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth, who is Mary's cousin, I mean, Mary's cousin, and her husband, Zechariah, who's a priest, they were getting on in years, Scripture says. If they were writing today, they might say that they were of a certain age. Both are code, for they were old. They had no children, and they were well beyond an age when conception was likely, yet in faith, they prayed to God. They held open the possibility of the miraculous. Their prayer held space for the possibility that God might act. And God did. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting that day, she was six months pregnant with the child that leapt in her womb, and even filled as she was with the child who would one day become the one who would prepare God's people for their Lord, still she held space open in her heart, and the Holy Spirit filled her, and she knew. She knew that God had conceived something holy in Mary's womb, too. She knew that their most sacred, that God Almighty was growing in Mary.
She also knew that their two babes, that they were linked, bound together by God's unfolding will. And she just could not contain herself. She shouted the news with joy and she wondered at the power of faith. Happy is the one who believes that the Lord will fulfill the promises that God makes. Elizabeth wondered at God's miraculous work in both their lives. Rabbi Friedman of Temple Beth Shalom here in Austin, he compared the Christian season of Advent to the Jewish season of Hanukkah in an email that he sent out to his congregation on Friday. Both seasons, he says, prepare the faithful to experience the miraculous. For Jews, it's the miracle of the triumph of Jewish rebels over the Greeks and the, mirac the miracle of a limited supply of oil lasting for eight days during the rededication of the temple. For Christians, we prepare for the full realization of the miracle of Christmas. Both Hanukkah and Advent call us to intentional practices of preparation that are meant to enliven and expand our faith, open us to the possibility of the miraculous. Now in both cases, spiritual practitioners are making space. They're making space for the possibility that something sacred might inhabit their lives. That's what Elizabeth and Mary have done. When the angel Gabriel visits Mary to announce that she will become pregnant, to tell her that God would be conceived through her by the Holy Spirit, in wonder and amazement, she stretches her faith to hold space for the possibility that God will do exactly what God said through the angel. Let it be, she says. Can you imagine? Mary was a virgin. And she was engaged to be married. And she lives in a time when, if she's found to be pregnant before she actually gets married, best case scenario, she'll be quietly set aside by her betrothed, an option that Joseph seriously considers, by the way, left to live in disgrace as she raises a fatherless child. And worst case scenario, Mary could be stoned to death. So Mary's let it be, it's no small thing. Her let it be is a huge, extreme act of faith. Not only faith that God will somehow conceive in her without the benefit of a human male, but that God will remain with her and the child throughout what is bound to be a journey that will be fraught with challenges, fraught with trials. In faith, Mary believes that God will not only inhabit her womb, but will inhabit the whole of her life. And her faith doesn't really even stop there. If you listen to the whole song that she sings, what we call the Magnificat, she believes that through the sacred child that God has conceived in her, God 
God's justice will also be born into and for the world. Sometimes we miss that part. D.L. Mayfield wrote in an article in the Washington Post this past week that she thinks that maybe evangelicals have domesticated Mary. She points out that in many white evangelical churches, it's the church she grew up in, Mary is remembered primarily as a young, obedient virgin who makes space in her womb for God to birth the sacred. But she notes that in several, it, she notes that in the evangelical church, the first verses of the Magnificat, those are very well known. I mean, we know them too. Most often we hear them articulated this way. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for God has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. That's as far as the reading typically goes in her church. And the image that we cast of Mary is of a young Faithful woman, peaceful, in the knowledge that she will bear the Savior into the world. But her song doesn't end there. It continues, it goes on to proclaim Mary's faith that with the birth of this child, God's desire for mercy and justice will also be born into the world, overturning and upending systems that perpetuate injustice. It says, he has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. God has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. Now to a woman living in a time when the Roman Empire occupies her homeland... When, as theologian Warren Carter notes, you live in a time where just 2 to 3% of the population are wealthy while everyone else lives a subsistence level existence, this is what salvation looks like. I'm not sure there's really much difference today, and I'm not sure it's just the evangelicals who domesticate Mary. She not only makes space for a child to be conceived and grow in her, but y'all, at nine months, that baby is not going to be conveniently transported out of her Star Trek style. She will labor. She will work hard in a dark, dirty stable in the middle of the night to birth God and God's justice into a night that probably was not so silent. Her faith holds space for the sacred. And the sacred is not always calm and bright. Sometimes it's wild. It's powerful. God's Holy One will change the world. Turn things on end. And not everyone is all that happy about it. Mayfield goes on to write that Revolutionaries, the poor and the oppressed, they all love Mary and they emphasize her glorious song, but the Magnificat has been viewed as dangerous 
by some people in power. Some countries, such as India, Guatemala, and Argentina, have outright banned the Magnificat from being recited or from the liturgy being used in public. A couple of those countries we hear a lot about in the news today. We hear about victims of injustice in those countries fleeing to find safe sanctuary. A couple of years ago, when the full implications of Mary's Magnificat hit him, a man named Ben Wildflower was inspired to carve this alternative image of Mary in a piece of wood. She's a young woman singing a song about toppling rulers from their thrones, he said. She's a radical who exists within the confines of institutionalized religion. In this time of preparation, when we intentionally nurture our faith, that it might grow, that it might make space for the miraculous, for the sacred to inhabit, what are our prayers? What are the places in our lives that need to be open to the possibility of the miraculous? What places in our lives have maybe contracted and grown small because we're so discouraged? What places in our lives are so filled with pain or grief or shame, challenges, discouragement, injustice, that it feels like there's just no room. There is no room for the sacred to enter this place. Maybe it's a relationship that seems just too broken, a loss that's too great, a job that is too stressful. Maybe it's a class that's too hard, a physical challenge a diagnosis that's too scary. What are the places in our lives where an expanded faith might open space for the possibility that God's sacred gift, Christ himself, might enter and inhabit this space with us and make possible the miraculous? Most people would think that a stable in Bethlehem would be the least likely place for a miracle to occur. I mean, look at it. So plain, so ordinary. I don't imagine it was all that clean. It would have been dark in the middle of the night, filled with animals that smell that are made restless by the sounds of a laboring woman, still, it was the only place with space enough for that family that night, 2,000 years ago. That innkeeper made space in his stable for the sacred to be born. Isn't that what all of us are doing? during this season of Advent? Aren't each of us an innkeeper who gets to decide if there is room for Jesus?
The miracle of Christmas that we hope to fully experience in the coming days teaches us that every space holds the possibility that the sacred would inhabit it with us if only we welcome Christ. What miracle do you need to make space for today? How is God desiring to be conceived in you? In what ways would God have the sacred grow in you? And how might you labor alongside God to usher in the sacred, to bear it to the world? I hope that we all hear the angels speaking to us this year. I hope we all hear the angels saying, do not be afraid. For what seems impossible is possible with God. And when we believe, when we expand our faith to create space for the sacred to be born, God will favor us too. I'm going to invite us to make space right now. I want you to get comfortable in your seat. Maybe take a deep breath. Call to mind your most audacious prayer. The deepest longing of your heart Maybe it's something you desire for yourself. Maybe it's something you long for for your child or your spouse. Maybe for the person on the corner who's hungry. Maybe your deepest desire is for people halfway around the world whose names you don't even know. I want to invite you to pray with me this prayer from the Iona community. As we pray, you will speak the words in yellow. When the world was dark and the city was quiet, you came. You crept in beside us, and no one knew. Only the few who dared to believe that God might do something different. Will you come into the darkness of the world, not the friendly darkness, as when sleep rescues us from tiredness, but the fearful darkness in which people have stopped believing that war will end, or that food will come, or that a government will change, or that the church cares? Will you come into the quietness of this town, not the friendly quietness as when lovers hold hands, but the fearful silence when the phone has not rung, the letter has not come, the friendly voice no longer speaks, the doctor's face says it all. 
And will you come into the dark corners and the quiet places of our lives? We ask this not because we are guilt-ridden or want to be, but because the fullness our lives long for depends upon us being as open and vulnerable to you as you were to us when you came wearing no more than diapers and trusting human hands to hold their maker. When the world was dark and the city was quiet, you came. You crept in beside us. You were saved this evening, O Lord. Amen. Amen.